Greetings on this wonderful day as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Our Bible readings today are two parts out of John 20, one of which Arlo has already read well for us, but we will read again from verses 1 to 10 and then from verses 19 to 23. So John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they had been staying. And continuing on from verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, welcome to Easter Sunday. Welcome if you're watching on the Mornington Peninsula or if you're somewhere in the Illawarra or if you're anywhere else, welcome. Welcome if you're somebody who comes to church most weekends. Welcome if you're a Christmas and Easter person and you just come on those special occasions. Or welcome if you're somebody who's just using the fact that we're live streaming to kind of check out church and what it's all about, because live streaming is a safe way to kind of check us out. Um, Whatever, welcome, because this is a great celebration. This is a real high point for Christians, the resurrection of our Lord. And even though we're celebrating it a bit different this year in our homes um, because of coronavirus, it's still a time for us to come together as the people of God and to celebrate the, ascension, the, res, the resurrection of Jesus. Well, it is a different year because of coronavirus, but let's tackle the other big news of the week for a moment, the acquittal of George Pell. Now, there's many dimensions about this we could talk about. Uh, I do want to say uh, that I think all forms of abuse are wrong or never to be tolerated and... Um, Feel free to contact authorities if you sense anything has happened to you that's inappropriate. But uh, I want to focus on just one dimension of this. Uh, 
It strikes me that George Pell was on trial in two courts this week. The first was the court of public opinion. It was the court of the print media and multimedia. Uh, and in that court, George Pell was found guilty. George Pell has somehow become the face of abuse, particularly from church leadership. George Pell was also trialled in the High Court of Australia and in that court he was acquitted. And boy, didn't social media go feral when he was acquitted. It's like all the people online, they were predisposed, they were ready to hear only one thing and that was that Pell was guilty that it's a travesty, that it's a miscarriage of justice if somehow he gets off. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Have you ever had that experience where you're trying to explain something to somebody and it doesn't matter what you say, they just seem to be wired to hear what it is they're ready to hear. Maybe you have this with your spouse or your parents or your children. or um, We had it this week with many Australians, and they only wanted to hear one thing. Well, I want to say to you that today we're going to look at the story of Jesus' resurrection, and I suspect many Christians are pre-wired to just hear one message this morning. doesn't matter what Scripture says. doesn't matter what I say. What many Christians are going to hear is, oh, Jesus died and Jesus rose again and my sins have been forgiven and because Jesus rose, that guarantees that I can share in eternal life. And I want to say, amen, that's true. But the Easter message is richer. It's deeper. It's a tapestry with, with many themes that interweave and make for a richer fabric than just that one dimension. And so I want to go back this morning into John's Gospel and try and highlight some of the other dimensions of what we ought to be celebrating on Resurrection Sunday. I want you to try and park your preconceived, we have to get to the cross and to substitutionary atonement because that's what Easter is all about. That's all true. Amen. But let's just try and weave some of those other parts of the tapestry around that and see if we might have an even more beautiful, richer fabric. Let's pick up uh, the narrative from John 18. And there we read um, that Pilate is interviewing Jesus. Uh, You'll see the scripture on the screen. And Jesus uh, is asked by Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' response is to say, is that your idea or have others talked to you about it? Uh, And then... Uh, When pushed, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus' kingdom is not like earthly kingdoms. Whenever Pilate's asking, are you a king of some kind of kingdom? Jesus is saying, I am a king, but not in the way that you think about kingdoms. How would Pilate think? Well, Pilate, being a Roman, would think about a a military king. Uh, He would think about 
uh, someone like Pompey the Great riding into Jerusalem uh, in a victory on a war horse or a war elephant. Uh, here's a picture of Pompey the Great. He's actually riding into Rome in this picture. Uh, Rome kind of falls apart and um, uh, Pompey rescues Rome. Um, but that's the kind of picture Pilate would have in his mind. And Jesus is saying, I'm not that kind of king. My kingdom is different from what you think kings look like. We have pictures today about what we think successful leaders, kings look like. And I think kind of one of the pin-up poster girls of successful leaders at the moment is New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern. And what is it about her that we now think makes for a great leader? Well, she's inspiring, she's respectful, she's inclusive, um, she's positive, personable, popular, she's politically correct, she's fighting for the right causes and uh, she gets heaps of likes on social media and kind of the leftist media like the ABC, they love her and they're always singing her praises. And, and sometimes I hear Christians doing something like what Pilate kind of does. Well, great leadership looks like this, so therefore Jesus is a great leader. He must look like Jacinta Ardern. He must be positive. He must be inspiring. He must look like a winner. But Jesus would say to us, if that's our view of what he's like, my kingdom is not of this world. It's different. So how is Jesus success? How is Jesus winning, looking different from the world? Well, let's continue on in the text. But before we do, um, uh, in 2 Timothy, um, Paul says, preach the word in season and outs of season. There's a sense in which parts of Jesus' message are popular at the moment but weren't in the past and other parts will be unpopular now but, you know, it, it's a moving feast. Uh, and, and Jesus is not going to get caught up in that. Whatever his kingdom stands for, it's not merely what's popular today. Let's read on. In John 19, here's a dimension of how Jesus' kingdom is different. Uh, so Pilate's asking him a question. Uh, don't you realise, Pilate says, I have the power to crucify you or to free you. Pilate thinks that leadership, that being a king is about power and how you use power. But Jesus says to Peter, it's not about power. It's not about the sword. Don't you think I could call on my father and he would release 12 legions of angels? But, but Jesus doesn't take that route. Jesus is about uh, being a, a king who doesn't enforce his reign with a show of dominance. That isn't the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the cross. Here's another feature. Uh, we read in John 20, um, and now we're getting uh, to the text that we read this morning, or at least the passage that we're in this morning, um, uh, the account of what happens when Jesus rises. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels. And they said to a woman, why are you crying? And she answered, they have taken my Lord away. And she said, I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. So the risen Jesus 
Who's the first person that he sees? It's Mary. It's a woman. In fact, in the other Gospels, uh, two women see Jesus and they are witnesses who then go and tell the disciples. Now, friends, this is deeply subversive for a first century text. Just think about it. Who is it that betrays Jesus? It's a male disciple. Who is it that says that he doesn't know Jesus three times? It's another male disciple. Who is it that doubts? It's Thomas, another male disciple. Who's the first disciple? Loosely speaking, not the 12, but of the 120. Who's the first disciple to see Jesus? It's a woman. And who are the witnesses? They are women. And in the first century, women can't be trusted in court because they are so muddle-headed they'll get the facts all wrong. And yet Jesus entrusts himself to two women. Can you hear the subversion of first century culture? And what Jesus is saying here is that my kingdom breaks the norms as to who's in and who's important. In Jesus' kingdom, gender and status and race are are unimportant. Uh, That's why Paul will write in Galatians that uh, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free, male or female. That's not to say that Uh, Jews become Greeks or Greeks become Jews or that we're all androgynous and there's no difference between males and females in the kingdom or um, slaves and free are uh, interchangeable. That's not the point. The point is that we're all equally in Christ and in Christ and in his kingdom we are all valued citizens. And kids, if you're listening, I want to say to you, this matters for you because you know what? You are just as much a child of God as what your mum and your dad are. You are equally a member of God's family as your parents. They might be mum and dad biologically, but in your spiritual family, they are your brothers and sisters. Isn't that kind of cool? Why don't you talk about that over lunch and what you think that means about being in the family of God? All right, so there's another radical feature about Jesus' family. Let's press on. Uh, Jesus' kingdom uh, is also one where the children are welcomed. And now we'll read on in uh, John chapter 20. Um, On the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together. The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leader. And Jews came and stood among them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And afterwards he said, uh, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So I want to highlight two things here. Firstly, Jesus is saying that his kingdom is about peace. Now, one sense, that's no radical claim. Most kingdoms say they're about peace. Most religions Buddhism claims to be the great religion of peace. Although having said that, Muslims believe that Islam is a religion of peace as well. And uh, atheists believe that all religions cause war and somehow to be an atheist is to be a peace lover. And even beauty contestants are in favour of world peace, right? So everybody's for peace. What does it mean for Jesus to say, um, 
peace be with you. Well, in some sense, it's a common first century Jewish saying, but at this point in history, something else is going on. Uh, Caesar Augustus, who claims to be a son of God, who claims to be Lord and Saviour, he also claims to be the bringer of peace. What the Romans would call Pax Romana, the great Roman peace. And there is a peace that exists for a couple of hundred years from Augustus onwards. And there's great prosperity uh, and, and road building and uh, city building. And um, if, if you go to Israel uh, you, or, or to the Middle um, or to, um, uh, you know, the Middle East or Turkey or uh, Rome, you get to experience all of this. You know, the, the opulence for those who were on the inside. That's how the peace kind of works. I don't know what you were doing this week. Maybe you caught Spartacus. Uh, there was a squashing, an annihilation of those who somehow rose up against that peace. What kind of peace does Jesus bring? That sort of peace? And the answer is no. Jesus means something quite different than what Pilate would be thinking, than what Augustus meant. For Jesus, peace is firstly peace with God. Because sin is in the first instance, sin against God. And the consequence of sin is in the first instance, a separation from God. And so what Jesus is bringing at Easter is a reunification of the creator and the created being back into relationship. And when there is peace there, and when the created being submits themselves to the will of the creator, then peace reigns across the entire universe. And that's what Jesus begins to bring in, that type of peace. Notice also in that John 20 passage that Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. I think at our worst, what evangelicals hear at Easter time is uh, Jesus died and he forgives my sins and so now I don't have to feel guilty anymore. I am free from that burden. And because Jesus rose, uh, I'm going to uh, eternity when I die and so I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven and I can just kind of hang around in between those two and do whatever I want. And John says, no, 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 that's, that's not what's going on here. God is the God who sends his son into the world because he loves his son, because he loves the world. And God, the sending God, sends his son. And then Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And we are to be that uh, loving message of Jesus to the world that brings a different kingdom to bear, to reign through the way that we bring the kingdom. Now, we pray this whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our task. Now, we've got different ways of describing this. Um, We are to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the earth. Um, We're to be image bearers of God. That's our vocation. We're to be disciples of Jesus. They're all different ways of saying the same thing. Our purpose here is to be sent by Jesus 
to bring his kingdom so that it's breaking into this world. That is our task. This is not a kingdom that we just kind of take for ourselves and then um, do whatever we want until we die and then get to experience the full-on version of it in heaven. It's much more than that. I've said enough. Uh, Here's one more, two more. Jesus performs many other signs, John 20, in the presence of his disciples. They're recorded in this book, but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So here's another unexpected feature of Jesus' victory, and that is that this kingdom is accessed by believing or by trusting in Jesus. It's not attained by doing something. It's not attained by understanding some doctrines. It's not attained by caring for a whole heap of the poor. No, it's about doing something that's very counterintuitive to us 21st century Westerners. And that is saying, you know who understands me the best? You know who knows what's best for me? It's not me. It's Jesus. And not only do I give assent to that notion, but actually I believe and I trust and I live as if that is true. And I follow Jesus' path and not the one that intuitively seems right to me. That's how you enter the kingdom. And when you do, you find, John's words there in verse 31, you find life in his name. That's where life is found. Not in trusting your own intuitions, not in getting in touch with your passions and expressing them. It's in trusting Jesus and in following him and living as a citizen of his kingdom. And that is life and life to the full. Well, that's Jesus' kingdom and it's an unexpected kingdom. Many of the features of it are... Are different from just that idea of Jesus died for my sins. There's a breadth there and a richness. What are we going to make of this? Let me quickly give you some suggestions. What's going to be your response to Jesus this Easter? Uh, and as I've said, it's about more than just receiving forgiveness. We are forgiven. Of course I believe that. Of course that's there in Scripture. But it's about more than that. It's about trusting and following Jesus' way of life. It's about saying, I'm not in charge. I don't understand myself. His ways are higher than mine. Thirdly, it's about being part of a kingdom community. Jesus wasn't an individual who died on a cross so that my individual sins could be forgiven. That's partially what happened, but it's bigger than that. He he comes and... He gathers 12 disciples because he's reconstituting Israel. And when he comes off the cross, he gathers with the 12 and forms the church. And then that church becomes the early church, which then spreads. And we become part of that church, which is the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of that. And that's what you join when you um, become a part of Jesus' kingdom. Uh, You join Christian community and they become the most significant and influential voices in your life. Fourthly, we are released from worldly power to adopt a servant attitude. You know, the last week of Jesus' life is fascinating. We saw on Palm Sunday last week that 
the crowd, or at least the part of the crowd that's probably out there in the Kidron Valley, um, is celebrating Jesus and his arrival and uh, announcing him to be the king. Um, and, and a week later, the crowd, the mob, is crying, crucify him. How does that happen so quick, that change? And you know what? I reckon on the night that Jesus was crucified, the Pharisees and the chief priests were sitting around slapping each other on the back saying, didn't we pull off some awesome political moves this week? Didn't we reposition the masses? And didn't we also put Pilate in a spot where despite what he thought he wanted to do, he actually felt that he had to appease the crowd and prevent a riot. Man, that was an awesome move. Who came up with that move? And Pilate did a bit of politicking himself. When he finds out Jesus is from Nazareth, he sends him to Herod. And Herod wants to see a miracle and doesn't get to see one. And Herod does his own politicking and sends him back. And Pilate and Herod kind of become friends after this, right? Uh, everybody's kind of playing games and making moves and these guys would be thinking, aren't we so clever? Aren't we so shrewd? Haven't we just kind of worked this crowd and nailed this and got the outcome that they thought was good? They, they would have had in, in, in some ways the best of intentions so they would have told themselves. And what does Jesus do? He has nothing to do with that type of game playing, with that type of politics. He is silent We read elsewhere, he's like a lamb led to the slaughter. And I find that really challenging because here's my experience of evangelical church. Whatever problem Pels and the Catholics have, I think we have a different set of problems for two reasons. As Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. God speaks to me and God speaks through me and I've got something to say. And secondly... Uh, We tend to be churches as Protestants that um, focus on teaching Uh, and so we have a spirituality that's about thinking, that's about understanding, it's a rational spirituality, it's other things as well, but that's the dominant theme. And so we get thoughtful, intelligent people who believe that God speaks through them and sometimes that's a recipe for people who love politics, who love thinking about wow, how can I bring my wisdom and my insight and the things that God has shown me and the gifts that he is giving me so that I can be, with the best of intentions, I can be a blessing to my church. If you're somebody who's wired like that, then I want to ask you, do you think that sounds more like Jesus or that sounds a bit more like the Pharisees? and the chief priests because I see an awful lot of manoeuvring and when I look under the bonnet of a church it's sometimes a scary place and I get to see under the bonnet of Baptist and Anglican and uh, Presbyterian church government systems and you know what they all look pretty similar and I'm saying this friends not as somebody who's up in my ivory tower shooting arrows down at you I'm saying this as somebody who's in the trenches trying to exorcise exactly the same demon because I don't mind a bit of that myself. I kind of find that fun and stimulating. But the scary thing at Easter is it doesn't look like 
Jesus. The power of the cross overcomes the temptation to play politics and to think that if I get my way, it will be the best for everyone. Instead, Jesus adopts a submissive and a servant attitude and invites us to participate in a completely different type of kingdom. Another feature of how we might respond to Jesus' victory is that we are a community where all disciples are welcomed. And I want you to note there the word disciples. I haven't said we're a community where everyone is welcome. If you want to join us and you think to yourself, well, you know what, I don't mind a few things Jesus says and actually I think Buddha says some really cool stuff too and probably more cool stuff than Jesus. You're welcome to think that, but that doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. Or if you're coming here um, and you're thinking you're going to find a great group of friends and there are some nice people at church, uh, but, but you're really not interested in following Jesus. Or if you're somebody who comes along and thinks, you know, um, my, my family and friends and my networks are in church, but actually I kind of trust myself the most and my capacity to interpret what Jesus says and I'll pick the bits I like, well, you won't find us comfortable, I suspect, because churches are about people who are following Jesus and Sometimes Jesus asks us to push back on those who aren't following him. And Paul does the same. And so that's who's going to feel like they're in, those who are following Jesus. Um, uh, And those who are marching to the beat of a different drum, um, well, that's your choice. But you know what? We are a subculture of people who want to follow and trust Jesus. And if our values are in season or if our values are out of season at the moment, it doesn't really matter. We don't get to change them because Jesus gets to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's wise and what's unwise, what brings life and what brings death. And we trust Jesus and we follow him. And lastly, I want to say that in response to Jesus' victory, we want to be a people who are permeable. We're a community where you you can come in and walk with us for a season and try Jesus on for size. What does it feel like to be a disciple of his? How does the world look? How does COVID look? How does suffering look? If I try and think about this in the way that Jesus encourages me to think about it. Join us for a season. Um, and, And... I'd like to think that we were welcoming and inclusive and uh, we, we were open, um, but at the same time, we have a firm centre. That stuff is not up for grabs. Well, I don't know what kind of preconceptions you had when you came to church on Easter Sunday, but I suspect that for some of us, We've been challenged that the notion that Easter is just about my sins being forgiven and me getting to go to heaven is true but insufficient. Jesus is offering so much more and I want to invite you to trust and to follow him and to step out in faith and find the life, the resurrection life that he's offering you 
this Resurrection Sunday. Amen.